I'm Massimo Bottura. This is Amanda Cohen. This is David Kinch. This is Mike Anthony. This is Huni Kim. This is Amanda Freitag. This is Richard Blaze. This is Paul Kahn. This is Curtis Stein. This is Stephen Harris. This is Missy Robbins. And you're listening to Andrew Talks to Chefs. We took back of house and front of house and got rid of them. And we now have heart of house. And that means that everyone who came back to work are paid the same. And any extra gratitudes, we don't call them tips anymore, any gratitudes left on the to-go orders are at the end of the pay period divided equally amongst every single person who is hourly. The interesting thing is they're all getting minimum wage, everybody. And then they got an extra amount on top of that and everybody's making quite a bit more and they work together differently and there's a different equality. There's no separation between that old back of house and front of house. The date is May 18th, 2020, and that is Jesse Cool, our guest on this special report of Andrew Talks to Chefs. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the show. This is a special report of Andrew Talks to Chefs. I am your host, Andrew Friedman. As always, our great thanks to Sam Pellegrino for covering the production cost of these special reports. We wouldn't have been able to deliver them to you without them. Our guest today is Jesse Cool of Flea Street Cafe in Menlo Park, California. More about Jesse in just a moment. Before we dive in, I do have just a few housekeeping notes. One of them is a reminder. We have to say this periodically because it can be confusing. Andrew Talks to Chefs is a fully independent podcast. We are not affiliated with any network. Our old shows from episodes around 97 or 98 and earlier still feature station IDs and advertisements that appeared on our former host network. That was one of the terms of our departing was that those stay in place forever, but we are fully independent. Also, if you do Google Andrew Talks to Chefs, we are the second result that comes up. The first one is still our former host network, but just so everybody knows, the only website where you can find current listings of the show and current information about me and what I'm up to and and new developments with the show is andrewtalkstochefs.com. That is the site that you should be visiting. That is the site that you should bookmark. And if you are simply listening on your favorite podcast platform and don't look into the show anywhere else, all you need to do is search for Andrew Talks to Chefs. And the first thing you do when you do find it, whether it's at Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Stitcher or wherever you look for it, is hit the subscribe button. That is free everywhere, and new shows will automatically drop into your podcast queue as they are launched. So please don't be confused. Again, andrewtalkstochefs.com is the one and only official home for the show. Also, just to keep you posted, after today, we have six more of these nightly special reports that we've been doing. That'll bring us up to 45, which is the number that we decided we were going to do when we, well, initially started the project and then refreshed it with the help of Sam Pellegrino. After that, I kind of mentioned a little bit about my thinking last week. I will be going to a weekly show in the short term until I'm able to get out there and interview people in person for our more traditional long-form biographical interviews. 
I will probably be doing what looks like a longer version of these nightly shows, but doing them one day a week, probably with some kind of a thematic focus each week. And at the end of each show, I think we'll continue to feature our Shelter on Plus television and film reviews with Allison and Matt Robicelli. So it'll be kind of a week's worth of shows in a probably 75 to 90 minute package that'll just drop once a week. That's probably what's going to start happening shortly after Memorial Day. I'm now going to introduce you to Jesse Cool. If you're in the on the West Coast, if you're in the Bay Area, you probably know that name. If you're not, you may not. She's never been anybody who kind of makes a mission to seek out publicity, but she is a legend in the Bay Area for just under 40 years. The restaurant will celebrate its 40th anniversary this August. Jesse has been the proprietor of Flea Street Cafe, a beloved local restaurant in Menlo Park, California. I should also say Jesse is our third or fourth guest in quick succession that hails from the Bay Area. There's there's no particular reason for that. It's just the way it fell. You know, Dave Nafeld was on to talk about the piece he wrote last or two weeks ago in Business Insider. And then we had Prithi Mystery on to talk about the Allison Roman scandal. Uh, we had Jody Liano from San Francisco Cooking School come on to talk about the prospects for cooking students. These just happen to be people who are in my personal and professional network and were either making news themselves or were especially well-suited, I thought, to discussing the news of the day. So that brings me conveniently to Jesse. Jesse is an old friend. We've known each other for about 10 years, and she reached out to me at the end of last week because someone had sent her the link to my conversation with David Nafeld. And David was speaking to me again on the heels of a piece that he did for Business Insider on their website that spoke about what I think is becoming a huge growing story in the lockdown and the reopening that's starting to happen gradually around the country, which is that there a lot of chefs, restaurateurs, professionals within the industry are looking at this as a moment to not just get reopened, but I think quite amazingly, because it is going to be so challenging, taking this moment to do what a lot of people have now taken to calling the reset to address long festering issues and dysfunctions in the industry and in all aspects of the industry. And Jesse reached out because she has been developing a program she refers to as Heart of House. We will explain what that is in the interview, but it was specifically brought to me as kind of a follow-on to what David talked about last week. So I wanted to air it as soon as possible. Jesse and I interviewed on Saturday, and here we are with the first show of the week to share it with you. So I don't think I need to say anything else about it. That should get you fully oriented. And with that, here is my conversation with the amazing Jesse Cool. Can you just give us kind of the Reader's Digest version of what the last couple of months have been like since the lockdown order went into effect? How the restaurant has pivoted in what you're doing right now from a, you know, what you're offering to the public standpoint. For me, after 44 years in the business, it was like swirling into another unknown and challenge, but I had no idea what this one was going to look like because we don't do to-go food. We reacted very quickly and we decided that we would keep our brand and keep our offering as a special occasion restaurant because we believe it's a place people celebrate or there's been a lot of businesses started there, many startups. It's a very little special, intimate neighborhood restaurant. So we wanted to 
figure out a way to keep that alive. In the midst of it, feeling incredible sadness for others and reinventing and sorting through how to be positive, how to find something in the midst of demise to take to our beloved guests of 40 years and let them know we cared about them. The night before we closed, there was a party of six and a guest said to me, well, you're closing tomorrow, but how are you going to get your food? And I said, the same way we always do from all our local people, because that food is still there. So it was just a matter of not only looking at where we would find our food and protecting our local vendors who needed our help too, um, but protecting our staff and protecting our guests and making our restaurant as sanitized as a hospital. You know, the whole takeaway program thing was has been so fraught because there are you know, there are people in the industry, including some people I would call industry leaders, uh, who have been, you know, opposed to it, certainly in places like New York, where workers might have to take public transportation. But, you know, from a customer safety standpoint, by and large, people who work in kitchens, I mean, from the time you start learning how to cook, uh, whether or not you go to cooking school, there's such a premium put on cleanliness. It is such an in- ingrained part of your thinking in a kitchen you know, professional kitchens, by and large, are way cleaner than anyone's home kitchen. <laughs> there's there's all, you know, at least I don't know what the laws are like around the country, but there's always someone in New York who has a food handler's license. You know, those, those are always posted on the wall in every kitchen. And then people, you know, everyone I know who's stayed open, of course, this isn't universal. I'm sure there's people out there who have been not as responsible. But like you just said, everyone I know, like one of their first their first two concerns were for their workers and then for, you know, and also for the public, like actually taking already pretty strong commitment to safety to the highest possible level. Like you said, treating it almost like a hospital. Our core value and philosophy is that the customer comes last. So when this happened, we immediately, for two days, literally scrubbed the ceilings. And it was to protect the staff first, because we knew if we protected the staff, our staff, then everybody else would be protected. And we also, by the customer comes last, we mean that we, we've, you know, for all this time been careful where our food comes from, knowing the people who produce it, um, setting standards of being organic so there are no chemicals or preservatives. So in a way, this was not that unnatural transition, but it was super uber care to scrub the ceilings. We had masks on before they were even required because we've been sending a thousand meals a week to the hospitals. Within a week, we were doing that. And you're right, we've got sanitizer buckets. And, you know, when the health department comes into the restaurant, they always say, you guys are really like super clean. I thought, oh, we weren't even as sanitized as we are now. And we actually hired one person who's the sanitizer. So that's someone who's not cooking, not handing off orders, but whose who's full focus is on... There's somebody on each shift who is, the, who is the sanitizer. They switch it. So that it's not left to the attention span or the bandwidth of someone who's, in, who's doing prep or packing up an order. It's someone who's dedicated to that function. Now that we don't have table service, we all switch, they all switch roles. And so in switching roles, everybody does everything now, but somebody's designated that. I mean, we we don't even use a delivery service yet. It's not that I have anything against them, but the first reaction um, on our part was we didn't want our food that we were being so careful with into a car with somebody we didn't know. Jesse, you got in touch with me the other day. I guess someone had sent you the link to the interview that we did with David Nafeld last week. And... You know, it's so interesting to me because 
the industry right now is is more challenged than it's ever been, and yet there seems to be this really rapidly growing groundswell. I, I can't speak for worldwide because I, I'm not interviewing that many people around the world right now, but within the United States, there is this groundswell that at the time of greatest challenge, there seems to all of a sudden be the greatest desire to repair what I would describe, and please correct me if you prefer a different word or additional words, but what I would describe as the dysfunction of the restaurant industry. That is the word. You wanted to share about this, this um, what do we call it? A, a program you're, you're, you're pondering, a, a philosophy you're trying to put out there into the world. Part of it, I guess, or a big piece of it was this terminology that you use of heart of house. Why don't you go ahead and explain it in your own words, what what you think the, the contribution you have to this conversation is? Well, I think everyone should listen to your interview with David because I sent it to many people. It resonated so many levels of the dysfunction. And I think because many of us now are not working the way we did, Hours are shorter. Um, the volume is not the same. We're not working every night, weekends, holidays. Um, it's so different that many of us are also connecting with one another. I think this connection is bringing up elements of how we feel like we want to change something that in essence is very loving and nurturing. All of us who go into this business believe that we want to cook and take care of people through food and nurturing attention. That's what the food industry is about, hospitality. And I think now that we're talking with each other, we're realizing that there's been a lot about it that didn't work. And this is the perfect time for us to talk to each other from coast to coast about possibilities of resetting that. So it is nurturing not only for our guests, but also in ways to be more balanced for the workforce. So there is no service anymore. You just put the bag in the trunk and everybody's doing everything. We, we took back of house and uh, front of house and got rid of them. And we now have heart of house. And that means that everyone who came back to work and we have almost, oh, I would say almost two thirds back are paid the same and any extra uh, gratitudes, we don't call them tips anymore. Any gratitudes left on the to-go orders are at the end of the pay period divided equally amongst every single person who is hourly. And they each get a little extra on top of their hourly pay. The interesting thing is they're all getting minimum wage, everybody. And then they got an extra amount on top of that. And everybody's making quite a bit more and they work together differently and there's there's a different equality there's no separation between that old back of house and front of house just to make sure i'm understanding and other people are understanding everybody is pitching in on multiple fronts correct like someone who was at a manager level is cleaning they do everything it's kind of the way it was when i opened we this whole separation kind of evolved within for me anyway and it made me sad i didn't feel this loving place like I used to, like everybody was willing to do everything and they weren't just working for money. And I do understand the economics of it because it's become more difficult, but everybody washes dishes. Everybody cleans up at the end of the day. Everybody dusts, everybody polishes the floor. I mean, they don't do it while they're preparing food, but they, they rotate through. 
But if somebody's more talented at something, then they're the ones that does that do more of that. You know, the bartender is more talented as a bartender, but that doesn't mean because he can do that task and somebody else is a talented line cook that there's now this great disparity in the way they're paid. So there's been a leveling of respectfulness for talent also, and that everybody takes care of the whole restaurant and each other. The thing that comes to my mind right away, Jesse, is I hear the way you're describing this, the word that people tend to use around the staff of a restaurant is family, right? You know, you have family meal and a lot of, for a lot of people in the industry, restaurants, you know, are, I mean, it's just the way it is. A lot of people find their way to kitchens initially or to restaurant life initially. For, For whatever reason, a lot of these people seem to have very fraught family backgrounds and it becomes a surrogate in a lot of ways. And what you are describing is very much the way of uh, the way a household works. It used to be like that. Uh, When we look back, I think at the old model of the cafe or restaurant in another part of the world, it was a part of the community and you knew where you bought your ingredients or who the bread baker was. And, you know, you knew the staff, everybody, everybody was a part of it. And there wasn't the division or the separation. And what we're feeling now is that again, it's quite beautiful to tell you the truth. And I'm sharing this with other restaurant owners and, you know, the whole heart of house HOH has not been completely refined because I also think if people have been with you a long time or if they work harder or they take leadership, that there are other ways of Um, of showing them our gratitude too. But it should not just be because of a position. And I think you and I talked yesterday about, um, oh, I forget which restaurant it was, where this this amazing cook in a fabulous restaurant created these these old, uh, the peasant purses. Yeah, that's, it's not a secret story. Barry Wine, who forever had the Quilted Giraffe in New York City, which is one of the great restaurants in New York City history, he tried to go to a no-tipping system back in the 80s. And his argument was that there was this this dish there called, like you said, the beggar's purses, which I think were 50 bucks at the time in the early 80s for an order of five. So an order would come in, the cook would have to make five crepes, you know, fill them with creme fraiche and caviar, pull them up, tie them with a chive, do all that work. That cook did not see an extra penny for the laborer. And the waiter uh, who took, walked it to the table you know, let's say it was a 15% tip, you know, saw an extra seven fifty for, for making that walk from the past to the table. Right. And that was, that's an example Barry sometimes gives of the inequity of the system. But I always hasten to point out as Dave Nafeld did the other day, you know, front of house people did not create that. They were born into that world. So I'm not, I'm not faulting them. That's the world they were born into. We don't want any of the front of the house to think that we don't respect the work that they do. They're very important. And they add a very valuable, especially storytelling, because they talk about the food and they share and they take care of the guests. They are just as important as every other position in the restaurant. And I actually think the dishwashers are amongst the most under-respected because they work the hardest and without them, what would we do? So all this is about is re-examining at a time when we have the opportunity to kickstart something different, to bring back 
a different kind of acknowledgement and family. Like you said, you wouldn't, you wouldn't be disrespectful to anyone in your family. And the system that has been set up, in my opinion, has created an inequality that brings in social justice and prejudice and racism, all kinds of things that, that does not honor what it should, which is hard work, longevity, loyalty, support for the restaurant or the food industry and each other. I think we have the opportunity to to bring that back. So when you said earlier, uh, everyone gets paid the same, you don't mean they get paid the same they were getting paid before. You mean there's like a flat hourly rate. That's correct. We're on our third pay period. And it was a little surprising for people because, you know, dishwashers used to make 19 an hour and cooks were making 22 to 33 an hour and front of the house all made minimum wage, $15 an hour. So what we did was we pulled the crew together. Everyone said, All of you are going to make minimum wage, $15 an hour. Welcome back. We're so glad you're here. Every single one of you. And this is the difference with our to-go, which which is we've been doing fairly well, with any gifts that our guests offer to the restaurant because they care about us, it would be divided equally amongst all of you. We have no idea how much that is yet. But we promise you it will be more than $15 an hour. So after two weeks, we divided between, I think we got 10,000 in gifts from our guests and people had worked 800 hours. By the way, don't use these numbers because <laughs> they're probably not accurate. But So you're just throwing these out there as hypotheticals. I am. I'm just throwing them out. Anyway, we divided the, the amount of gifts, gratitude that our guests gave us for to-go by the total of that number of hours worked. And that amount was what everyone got added onto their paycheck per hour that they worked. That's great. Everybody made $15 an hour minimum wage. They made an extra $14 an hour. Everybody. Now, that was less than what they would have made if they were a server or a host or a bartender. It was much more if they were in the kitchen. But what we did was level it to a point where everybody worked hard. Everybody did everything. And... I don't know how we're going to do this um, if we ever have table service, but I'm hoping there's a way that we can use this model and build from it. Does that make sense, Andrew? hundred uh, percent. What I'm wondering is, without naming names or even positions, were, were, were there any people who made this choice not to come back under these terms? Are there any people who have expressed unhappiness with these terms, or is it just one big kumbaya? No, they went silent. I think it's hard for them. And I do feel for them because they were making a lot more money. And they were making a lot more money working way less hours. There was an imbalance. The people who were working the least amount of hours, six or seven hours a day, who could take off anytime they wanted, who were paid minimum wage, and this is another issue, when the minimum wage went up, we the, the government thought this was going to take care of the people in the back of the house. It None of those people made minimum wage, at least in urban areas on both coasts. Uh, We were paying people in the kitchen far above minimum wage already. So the only people who got the raise were the ones who were working less hours and making more already. On top of that, this is not news to the industry, but when we had to raise our prices to make sure we could deal with this increase in labor. Because people tip on the total guest check, the only people making more money, again, because it's a percentage of the guest check, 20%, were once again the front of the house. It did not touch the back of the house. 
So with Heart of House, it's all leveled. In asking if they come back, I hope they will. If not, I hope they find a way to take care of themselves because this isn't about them. This is about a system that wasn't fair. And the vibe amongst the people who are there, what's it like? I I would imagine that working in this new way for the people who have Synod, who are there, I would imagine that this is a a bit of an oasis for them in the midst of this, you know, this misery that we're all living through right now. I'll be honest. um, I do FaceTime with them and I haven't felt this much love. Um, not only between them, because they are all working together, but towards the restaurant and towards management. And it's been an adjustment. But they, first of all, we're creating, a, you know, we're making a thousand meals to go to the hospital through a nonprofit. So they know they're doing something meaningful. But I think they also get that there's a new respectfulness and everyone speaks to each other and everyone helps each other. And for me, that again, is like going back in the past when I started restaurants, we did this. And so I do think it's a place where they feel like work is good and it's meaningful and they're being cared for and they're reaching out into this very generous community that's kept us alive and is ordering to go from us. And they feel like they're a part of something positive. The cup is half full instead of the cup being half empty. And I don't want that to go away. That's the biggest thing. I don't want this to go away. And I think the only change in the flattening of everybody making the same and sharing it all is, as I mentioned earlier, we will figure out a point system. And I think uh, Danny Meyer does this as Gramercy Tavern. And by the way, I'm communicating with Danny and saying, let's all share this so that we are good to our people, but that they feel like they're not in a dysfunctional business anymore, that they're in a business that is really setting the bar to take care of everybody again. I do like what you said about you being in touch with Danny. I think the thing that has stopped change from happening, well, the thing I never really focused on or I couldn't recognize before, which David pointed out last week, Nafeld, is, you know, you all work so hard. I mean, there's people I know who started working at 16 and like, you know, they, they, never, they never stopped, you know? And... And then people have had, like you said, either either they're working a little less or they're maybe their restaurants are totally closed at the moment. They're not working at all. So all of a sudden, there was this time for reflection. And all this stuff that I think a lot of people in the industry have kind of worn it as a badge of honor, you know, the long hours. E- even like when you describe this tension that's that's developed over the years between the, you know, cooks and the and the servers, even that has always been kind of part of the lore of restaurants, you know? And I think people got a little perspective on it and said, wait a minute, we, we got to fix all of this. This isn't funny. It's not healthy. It's something we've all accepted for way too long. And uh, I think the thing that has stopped a lot of these things from happening, and I think tipping is a great example of it, it's never been uh, unified. You know, there's millions of rest. You know, this is part of what the big struggle is to get the government to understand or to help in a, in a proper way is that collectively it's such a huge industry, but individually every restaurant is its own little fiefdom, right? So getting, I think a lot of these changes do require, you know, at least a plurality of restaurants to be on the same page and and doing it. Otherwise, uh, it just seems it seems to disadvantage people who are trying to change things. You know, when people go to a no tipping model, 
their menu prices go up and, and the average customer thinks that they're a more expensive restaurant when in fact they've just eliminated, you know, this step. I also think, Andrew, that, that there's a greater awareness for the public. I can't tell you how many times I would comp a meal in the restaurant to a friend or a, someone in my community who has been good to us and they would overtip. And I would say, wait, stop. And they had no clue that it all went to one place. They thought that they were taking care of the whole restaurant. I think there's a greater awareness of where our food comes from. People are realizing they want to keep their farmers alive wherever they live or fishermen or ranchers. I think they're understanding more what the tipping system is. I think um, what happened with, you know, Anthony Bourdain or anybody who's come forth and been able to honestly say about um, the angst that's in their life or the dysfunction, back to that word, I think there's more of an awareness. It's not just sitting down at a table and having a wonderful meal and leaving a tip. There's more of the story of what it takes for us to get there. And I think in a conversation you and I had earlier, having a personal life, and David talked about this, having children. My my children were latchkey. They're fabulous now. But, you know, the joke was, did you ever worry about us? And I thought, I didn't have time. And I'm sorry I didn't come to your soccer games. And, you know, to see me, you better show up the back step and don't call me mom anymore. Call me Jesse. And you eat family meal. Do not ask for anything special. There was a certain bravado or romanticizing of it that some of it is is should remain because when the curtain goes up, we do create something beautiful. We do have pride in our art. We do take care of people. But I think the greater understanding of what it takes to get there or some of the elements might be happening during this reset and we're all talking about it, and I think it's fantastic. And that's our show for today. Again, my great thanks to Jesse Cool for being our guest. As we do mention on every show, please check out our Patreon page at patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Andrew Talks to Chefs. Patreon invites fans of podcasts to support the podcast directly. As I mentioned at the top of the show, we are a fully independent podcast. If you come in at the $10 per month or higher level, one of the things you get is access to special patron-only episodes. We're currently featuring a two-hour, never-before-aired conversation that I did with David Kinch for my book, Chef's Drugs and Rock and Roll, and we'll be launching another one with another chef at the beginning of June. If you are able to support us in any way, please do visit that website. If you enjoyed this show, please explore our archives at andrewtalkstochefs.com or on your favorite podcast platform. Please subscribe on your favorite platform. It is free. Please tell your friends either through social media or through a text or an email or word of mouth. We would really appreciate that. And if you are so inclined, we would love it if you would please rate or review the show especially if you are a listener on Apple Podcasts, where many more people seem to do that. And those reviews and ratings help people find the show when they do a search on Apple Podcasts. So we appreciate your support in that way. Thanks to Wild Turkey Surprise for today's opening music and to After School Special for the music you are listening to right now. Please seek them out online and enjoy more of their music. Thanks to our engineer, Margaret Kelly, for mixing these special reports. Our thanks to Sam Pellegrino for making these special reports possible. And thank you to all of you for listening. Please take care of yourselves. 
take a breath, and we will all get through this together. See you tomorrow.